Before we get started, I wanted to share the caveat that this story does deal with themes of suicide and depression, so I just wanted to give everyone a heads up about that before you listen. Thanks. Anna Schutz by Dean Peterson, Chapter 3 She came into his room and frowned at the uniforms lined up with rigid precision in the doorless wardrobe. She had seen them do it before, using three fingers between the heads of the hangers to achieve the same distance between every garment. She ran a finger over the odd clothes, the tiny little square flecks of green on green, digi-camo, they called it. It did, in fact, make it harder to see the wearer, despite its strangeness. The uniforms had changed so much, but so little over the decades. They hung like a formation of clean scarecrows waiting for a command. She fished through the boy's things. The sad thing about him was there wasn't much to his effects, just army-issued items. She had wandered through the barracks plenty of times before, usually out of boredom, but sometimes as part of a game she'd play, one in which she'd spot a soldier and make her own private wager about what would be in his room based solely on how he looked and acted, a game that was made even harder in a place where everyone wore the same uniform and had more or less the same haircut. She had gotten pretty good at the game over the years. Her 2 a.m. prowling through soldiers' things had proved boring most of the time, as so many of these discarded youth exported to her country were so much alike. People hissed in whispers in morning formations, or disquieting talk in the chow hall about her presence on the old German caserne. The cupboard doors left open in the dark, the soldiers who woke up to find every drawer and door open in their room, TVs left on to greet them upon their return to the barracks. Their personal effects usually consisted of TVs and DVDs and magazines about bodybuilding and handguns. She had a reputation for destroying the nudie magazine she found. Soldiers would come back to their rooms to find their smut mags ripped to confetti-like bits on the floor. It happened with enough regularity, along with her other shenanigans, that rumors of the porn ripper began to circulate in the barracks like an offshoot of the Bloody Mary legend. If you leave your porn out, the ripper will come. As soldiers' possessions changed from vinyl to VHS and finally to DVDs, the one thing she liked the most were the advent of video games. She would find an Xbox left dormant by a private on leave or out drinking, and she would play for hours, sometimes days. She liked soccer and hockey, and one time spent a whole week playing The Sims. She finally brought herself to play one of the numerous World War II ones. At first it seemed comical, a fanciful sliver of any real experience. But after a while the clatter of machine guns and the thud of bombs made it all come back to her. Private Chris Reynolds came home from a night at the club to find his room wrecked. Uniforms and equipment were sprayed all over the tiny space. Beds and furniture were overturned. It was so bad the MPs even took a report about the vandalism. The thing she missed most were books. She'd read everything halfway decent in the tiny branch library on post years ago. She was left to depend on what books soldiers might read. It was a meager selection. Had she wanted cigarettes or booze or oversized condoms, she would have been in business. The truth was most of these kids didn't read much. A sense of familiarity washed over her as she shifted quietly through the effects of the boy she had seen at the mossy overhang. There were no books, no movies, and no family photos. Instead, he had only a few pairs of civilian clothes and an old serviceman's copy of the New Testament with a camouflage cover from the chaplain. A nagging thought tugged at her as she continued to look for an item of nonconformity amid the effects. Lots of people had seen her when she was seized by that horrible midnight terror and forced to run mindlessly from her father over and over again, 
Reports crackled over the MP radios about the white girl on the airstrip. However, only some people could see her when she was sentient, when not seized and forced to repeat the same tableau she had no control over. When she wasn't locked into that old pattern of running mad through the woods, repeating what had happened that night over half a century ago. Some could see her when she was just lingering, wandering, spanning the decades. They'd caught shadowy glimpses of her in the darkness of the basement of the barracks, spotted her traipsing over the soccer fields in the autumn fog. It was all pendant on the latent ability some people carried to see the dead. It was that, and that other thing that sometimes made people see her. Once there was an old man with his unit's insignia on the Ford F-150 he dragged across the ocean back to Germany. He'd moved back to retire and relive the good old days of being a soldier. A year after his arrival, he slumped forward in the driver's seat of that pickup parked at the post gas station and grimaced, clutching his chest and turning beet red. His eyes bulged beneath his Vietnam veteran ball cap as he gritted his teeth against the pain in his chest. She watched him come closer to death than he had ever been in the jungles of Southeast Asia. His eyes met hers over the dashboard as she stood in front of him. She could see the cry for help in his eyes as he slumped onto the floorboards of his vehicle. There was a pretty private, the one that slit her wrists after an NCO raped her. She lay on her bed in the barracks and stared up at the phantom above her. The apparition did her very best to put direct pressure on the girl's wrists before giving up the effort and knocking over a wall locker, making enough noise that someone came to check on the very depressed, bleeding girl who claimed she saw a girl in my room before she was taken away to behavioral health. There was no handbook of the dead, a guide for the recently or not so recently departed, but years of observation seemed to say that those close to death, by accident or ill intent, by faulty wiring or mutant cells, could see her best before they joined, or almost joined, her ranks. The boy in the woods with the cookies was nothing new in a sense. The army was full of people who were depressed. Barracks Rats was a name she had learned. The lonely, quiet, sometimes alcoholic youth who spent their two years in Germany doing their best not to leave the tiny postage stamp of American soil before their tours ended and they could return to Missouri or Detroit or whatever horrible place they were from. Somewhere on the darker end of the spectrum were the ones like the boy in the woods, ones that didn't have a family photo, who had no apparent past or personal history. She wondered about what kind of person ventured into the woods at night alone to leave goodies for people, someone that seemed concerned about her in spite of whatever was wrong with him. She watched his breath plume under the covers in his frosty little cell of a room. How much longer would he last? A train? A razor? Would he turn one of those black, plastic-looking guns they now carried on himself? It wasn't wise to mess with a living. Too many memories of being alive yourself. Usually it didn't matter anyway, because so few people could see her for very long. She frowned in the chilly room and watched the boy breathe. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a good time. If you're interested in joining our Facebook group and learning more about where the idea for Anna Schutz came from, and keeping in touch with us. The link is listed on Podbean and on Stitcher. Thanks. We'll have a new episode up for you next week.